Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm today's host, Coleman Hodges. Joining us today, he is Dr. Jack Brown. He is the associate head coach for North Carolina Swimming. Among his accolades, he's an NC2A champion. He is an Olympic trials finalist. Uh, he swam the University of Arizona where he was on their NC2A champion team in 2008. Uh, he's coached at Mizzou for seven years. He's now at UNC. He's coached all Americans. Uh, and he just started Doc Brown Performance. You can check him out at docbrownperformance.com. He just put out a book, These Six Questions. Uh, and we're here with him to talk about it today. Most importantly, Jack Brown was my co-club coach for one year, and that's uh, that's how I know Jack. So, Jack, thank you so much for coming on today. How's it going? Absolutely, Coleman. No, it's great to see you again. Uh, yeah, Coleman and I go way back uh, to our club coaching days, which I do miss a little bit, which is uh, club coaching is is amazing. But yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. I have a lot going on, but it's been a really exciting time. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to <laughs> to use this as uh, getting your information out there and also catching up with you and hearing about all these endeavors that that you are currently in in your life. So first of all, we're going to start with Doc Brown performance. Um, you started this kind of side thing where you're putting you're putting your PhD uh, to good use. Can you tell me about how this came to be? Why this was important for you to start? and what it looks like for you on a day-to-day. -day. For sure, absolutely. So for those that don't know, my PhD is in sports psychology. I uh, I got my PhD while I was at the University of Missouri, um, coaching there. So I was fortunate to be able to do both at the same time, which was an amazing opportunity that I was afforded. Um, you know, when I think back to my career as an athlete, both in club and in college, I was, you know, I was an athlete that struggled with race anxiety. Um, at the age of 16, I had this amazing breakout nationals in 2004. It was a lucky nationals because it was during the Olympics. And so none of the Olympians were there. And a lot of the people that went to trials took the trials off. And at 16, I got third in the 400 IM nationals at my first nationals ever. And from then on, I really struggled to duplicate that performance. In fact, when I was 17 and 18, I added seven and eight seconds in the 400 IM at following nationals. And, you know, I was training better than I'd ever trained. All my other events were getting faster, but yet my best event, the event that I took the most pride in, that I had the most potential to make national teams and do all that stuff, I was really struggling in. And I just didn't have an answer for this. Um, I got to college and I had a little bit of that anxiety still. And it wasn't until my sophomore year that I really figured out the mindset that worked for me that allowed me to perform at the highest level. And I was lucky to have some coaches and some performance psychologists that helped me along the way to kind of learn the lessons that I've picked up. Um, since becoming a coach, um, the athletes that I work with, it's very clear that so many of the kids that walk in the door have some form of race anxiety as well. They want to be good so, so bad, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know um, what the things are that are holding them back or what they can do a little bit better. They don't know where to place their thinking and their focus. And so for me, this project was an attempt to kind of 
help the world and help the swimming community figure out, okay, this is how we can overcome this. We can do it through conscious action. We can do it through decision-making. We can, we can take a logical measured and um, concrete approach to it rather than just kind of living in the sphere of just thinking and thoughts. And so um, the other thing that this project has really allowed me to do is to reconnect with my roots in swimming a little bit. So I work very, very closely, particularly with the North Carolina Aquatic Club. Um, though I'm starting to begin some work with some other clubs around the country in some virtual ways as well. Just in, you know, through information, I do some one-on-one -on -one coaching. I do some workshops for North Carolina Aquatic Club. I do some um, swimmers um, workshops as well and some parent workshops. And it's just been a lot of fun. It's been so much fun to plug back into club swimming again and to see the passion and the way that people are trying to learn and figure things out and through the improvement and um, and that's been an unbelievable opportunity. And it's taught me a lot of lessons that I've been able to really kind of think about and then even apply at the college level with the athletes I work at, with here. It's made me a better coach in both domains, which has been really fun. Yeah. Can, can you give us uh, just some examples of, uh, of things that you are encountering? You know, what, what is, what is anxiety or race anxiety specifically look like for the athletes that you're working with? Are they nervous the day of race day? Are they nervous about a certain thing? Are, are you finding commonalities throughout the workshops or the one-on-ones that you're doing? For sure. So I would say that for different athletes, it manifests in different ways. And what I kind of define is some form of race anxiety or, you know, and that's a loose term and it's a loose diagnosis. And I don't even tell them that they have race anxiety. I just use that so as an overarching term to kind of just talk about this topic when I'm in a situation like this, I don't want to diagnose anyone and say, you have race anxiety. It's like, no, it's a, the way actually, you know, to take a step back that I think about sports psychology, and I think coaches and athletes understand this, is that sports psychology is really about skills. Okay, It's about our mental skills. Now, as swimmers and coaches, we understand skills very, very, very well. It's what we do every day. That's what we work on every day out there in the pool. Um, and when you think about it that way, it makes it, again, more concrete and something that, hey, we can rehearse these things, we can make decisions, we can practice things. And when we do that, we're going to learn and get better and create new habits that are going to help our performance down the line. To answer your question, um, you know, the root cause of so much of this is our, our goals and the role that goals play in an athlete's career. And this is the kind of the number one thing that I run into is that athletes understand that they have to have goals, that they're supposed to have goals. They know about the acronym SMART, and they know that they're supposed to have long-term and short-term goals. What's, what's the acronym SMART? I don't know. <laughs> goals are specific, measurable, action-oriented, realistic, and time-oriented. So they're specific oh. in nature. You can measure them. So it's not just something nebulous. I'm going to do this better. It's, no, I'm going to take eight kicks, or I'm going to go this time, or I'm going to get this place. They're action oriented that you can take control of them and have an influence on them. They're realistic is that they fit your skill set and uh, what you're capable of doing. So it's not that I'm going to go from being a summer league champ to an Olympian in one season. And that there's a time orientation to it that I want to do it by the end of the season or I want to do it at this meet. And so goals need to meet all five of those standards to be something that's really usable that we can we can internalize and use to our advantage. Um, but what I would say is, is. When we think about those goals, you know, goals really serve three purposes. And those purposes are they are motivational. So they help us do the really hard work that we need to do. They get us bed, get us out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. They help us 
do that last 400 IM of the 400 IM practice. They're instructional. So we can work backwards from the end of the goal and figure out the things we need to do to do it. So um, our paces, our kick counts, our stroke counts, we can kind of reverse engineer a process based off the goal that we've set. And then the final piece is, is that they're unifying. They get everyone on the same page, both parents, athletes, coaches, teammates. And of course, if you have a team goal, it brings the team together around the common goal. And that's all really, really, really important and critical that does those things. One thing goals are not, though, is performative. Athletes think that they need to take it. You know, if they're not thinking about their goal when they're on the block, then that means that they don't care enough about it. They're told that they need to sit there and, you know, kind of have that, you know, boxer mentality where they need to be so serious and, and then they get up there and they're thinking, oh, I got to break a minute in the 100 freestyle. And when they're on the block, they're going 59, 59.9, 59.9, 59.9, 59.9. And kind of in their thinking, what you when you find out and you talk to them, it's always like, I need to, I have to, I should, I ought to. And then eventually that question leads to, or those things, thoughts lead to, oh my gosh, what happens if I don't? And then once that's, once that's there, there's time tightness, there's anxiety. And so teaching and just educating people about how to use your goals correctly, and then when to let go of them and focus purely on process. And that distinction is so critical. And it's one that athletes generally, particularly at the club level, but even at the college level, don't understand. And just the education piece of that has been really, really important and impactful with the athletes that I work with. So once again, uh, docbrownperformance.com is where you can where you can find Jack. If you found th this little blurb inspirational or you just want to check out what Jack's doing, docbrownperformance.com. I think this is a great segue also to you can also find his book that he just wrote, The Six Questions, a step-by-step -step guide to swimming fast by Jack Brown PhD. Uh you, that's where you can find his book as well, docbrownperformance.com. Say it one more time. Uh, but yeah, Jack, you wrote this book um, <laughs> that, that kind of, I think, coincides with this side hustle of Doc Brown performance. Um, tell us about the six questions and, and how this book came to be and why you wanted to put this piece of literature out there. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, here's here's a copy of it right here, just sitting beside me. So um, this has kind of been the culmination of what I would, the last seven or eight years of my career. So I began kind of thinking in this kind of creating this foundation for performance actually in 2014, but back then it was three questions and it has since expanded. So that started when I was at the University of Missouri and I, I was using it a lot individually with people. Um, and again, it, you know, it goes back to this issue, this role of goals that I was talking about. And, you know, this book, while it does have goal setting in it, this book is not a goal setting book. Rather, it's a using your having your goals and then creating a process that works for you that redefines your relationship with your goals. So again, uh, you know, I started this process in 2014 when I was in graduate school um, and I, and I was using it. I had four questions at the time. And then as we got towards the end of my career, or, you know, my time at Mizzou, um, I was fortunate that we actually got to use this with the team my last year there. And it, by that point, it had taken the leap from four questions to six questions. Um, you know, just to kind of go through it, really those six questions are, we're going to, we're going to kind of ask, what do you want? We're going to ask why you want it. We're going to have a stated purpose and just kind of really just discover your deeper meaning for why this is important to you. And I always talk about, you need to have your what, and you need to have your why. And those two things need to be separate. Um, we're going to figure out and devise a process, both race routines, race plans, 
We're going to talk about strengths and weaknesses. We're going to create plans for those strengths and weaknesses to how to improve them. It's all about intentionality, making decisions now so that we have a process and a path to walk and make very, very clear. There's no, you know, as you go through a season, you get tired. There's it's chaotic. There's, you know, challenges and obstacles. But if you've made decisions before you begin the journey, it's so much easier to walk that path and have the discipline to do it rather than waiting till things get hard to make the decision about what you're going to do. If you wait till you wake up at six o'clock in the morning to decide what set you're going to do or how hard you're going to push, then the fatigue that you feel is so easy to take over and make the decision for you. Well, not today. I'm not feeling great today. But if you know like, hey, Thursday mornings are really important. That's when I do my 400 IM work and that's my best event. And I've got to really focus on that workout and set goals for it and then have a stated intention. When you wake up on Thursday, you're going to know it's game time. And you're going to say, this is important to me. And you're going to have a much stronger discipline towards what you're trying to do. Um, from there, we talk about obstacles and how we're going to overcome them. And then finally, the last question being kind of, you've created this process. Are you willing to go do it? Um, you know, there's a great Nick Saban quote. It's what it takes is what it takes. And I really love that quote. It really speaks to me because a lot of people think that they can do things however they want and they're going to get the result they want. And quite frankly, that's not really true. Um, you know, there have been people that have walked the path before you, generally speaking, until you get to the highest level and you're trying to be a trailblazer and do things no one's ever done before. And, you know, the best way to get to where they got to is to do the things that they've done and to do them better than they did them. And that's how you move past them. Um, and so, you know, this book um, really informed my practice with college uh, at Mizzou. And then I brought it to North Carolina. Mark and I brought it to North Carolina. And every year that we've been here, we've done these six questions with the team. Um, you know, we had a big packet that we'd hand them. We do presentations at the start of the year. And really the decision to write the book was, is that I'd seen this work with so many of the athletes I worked with, and it creates such a strong foundation for performance and understanding of mental performance that I really thought it was important to share with the world because I, it, it hurts me to watch kids train so hard and care so much about swimming. And then to get to the end of the season, not get the result they want simply because they don't know any better. They don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so this is an attempt to kind of show them the way and, and give them a path and a system to move forward. Um, you know, the book itself is meant to be really easy to read. It's not super long. It's about a hundred pages. It's got worksheets. It's got stories. It's it's written for all ages and for all groups and that can get a benefit out of it. And so um, I was excited. I got to write it this year. We used the book with the team this year. They thought it was super cool. Um, and I've already gotten some awesome feedback about some other club coaches who started institute, instituting it with their um, swimmers and some other college coaches as well that are using it with their teams. And it's been pretty exciting to kind of hear back from everyone. Yeah, I I didn't realize that you got to use it you got to use these six questions all the way back to your time at Mizzou, but obviously you've seen teams not use a method like this. And then you've seen teams use this method. And I mean, what, what changes do you notice um, throughout, especially getting to say, here's this method at the beginning of the season and then get to watch them go through the season. Um, yeah. I mean, can you explain? Yeah. Just what you see throughout a season that, that you're like, okay, this, this might've gone another way. Had this, uh, had this not been in place. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what I would say from my personal experience using this is that we've standardized the conversation that happens at the start of the season. 
And it, it's cool because when you do it over and over again, your upperclassmen become masters of it. They just, by the time they're juniors and seniors, a lot of their routines and processes are totally mapped out, but you're still pushing them to expand and make them better. And so there's continuity from one year to the next. It's not just we're going to abandon everything that worked last year and then start new. We're going to, but the conversations that we're having year after year build on each other. And so those seniors and juniors are then able to help instruct and teach the sophomores and freshmen who are going through the same process that they went through and have gone through now on their third try or their fourth year and all of that stuff. And so that's an amazing thing that you get to come in every year. And it's not just something crazy and new and out from left field. It's rather it's something that, hey, this is this is the Carolina way. This is what we do here. And it creates a foundation for both um, the vocabulary that we use as a program throughout the year. And it creates a common understanding amongst everyone on the team that can can grow over the course of someone's career here as they practice these principles and they get better at them. Um, you know, when it comes to kind of a team that I've watched institute these things in the meantime, or even an individual that I've watched institute these principles in the meantime, what I see is I see that they get to the final competition and that they actually have a lot more fun. I mean, that's what it results in is that it results in people understanding that, Hey, if I'm just myself, and I'm, if I make some plans ahead of time, I set my intentions, I make some decisions. When I get to the meet, all I have to do is walk the path that I've already planned. And part of that path is being relaxed. Part of that path is talking to my teammates. Part of that path is cheering and having fun and not sitting in the corner with my headphones in my ears, trying to get all hyped up and forcing myself to do things, but rather just being myself. And the quote that really defines kind of my coaching, particularly with this process is know what you're doing and do what you know. And it's amazing when you talk to athletes, how many of them don't know what they're, what they're supposed to be doing when they're on the block. They don't know what they're supposed to be thinking about. What am I supposed to be thinking about when I'm on the block? What am I supposed to be thinking about when I'm in practice? As coaches, we kind of take those things for granted. And so it's really cool when you get to meet, when you watch someone just be relaxed. And then the moment it's their turn to go on the blocks and they step up, you watch kind of that, that focus come over them. They know they're confident and it's just like a switch goes off. And then they perform, um, you know, the first year that we did this at Mizzou, you know, particularly on the men's side, you know, we made a run at the SEC championship that year. We were in, uh, winning all the way through and then just barely lost on the last day. But that was probably the most fun meet that I'd ever coached at at Mizzou just because the team was having a blast, just shooting for the moon and seeing what's going to happen, kind of swimming with being able to take risk and, uh, swimming without consequence and allowing the results to take care of themselves. And so I think it's very liberating to teams when they employ this process because it teaches people to relax and to trust their best and the decisions that they've already made. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so many coachisms of like, you get to the big meet and they're like, well, the hay's in the barn, yep. et cetera, et cetera. But to actually break that phrase down and and give kind of coachable uh, little tidbits of, okay, this is actually how you act and, and how you implement <laughs> the haze in the barn. Um, yeah. it's, it's really great. Uh, and, and, and just to kind of the, the other coaches and that we have a tendency with athletes to do is what do coaches yell at athletes all the time? Focus, <laughs> but, but they don't say what to focus on. They just yell at them to focus. Or the other <laughs> one is when a coach yells at you to relax. What do you mean? Relax. It's like, well, you're yelling at me. How, how do I do that? 
And, you know, and part of this is, is teaching those skills and giving an understanding that we can actually allow people to know what to focus on and create a situation where people can relax. And like you said, building that vocabulary, right. That builds on itself year over year, I feel like is, is, is a great process. And it seems really helpful to the athletes as well as the coaches, because then the coaches aren't just yelling dead phrases. They're yelling things that they understand and they, that they know the athletes will understand also, uh, which is super cool. Um, so, so this year let's, let's get down to UNC, uh, North Carolina swimming, uh, (laughs) right there. Um, you guys implemented this again, you know, you, you kind of had this meeting, um, do are there goals that surprise you in these kinds of meetings or, you know, when athletes come to you and say, this is what I want to achieve, um, or this is how I'm going to do it. Are there ever surprises? I feel like that's the, that's the funnest part of coaching to me sometimes is like when kids come to you and they're like, this is, this is what I'm thinking. And it's like, this is what you're thinking. Uh, and then you kind of, you, you kind of work with it. Right. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the fun part. I would, you know, that's an interesting question. And I would say that I'm not necessarily surprised um, by people, particularly with the biggest goals on our team. Um, My surprise is actually sometimes with the kids that don't necessarily believe in what they can do as much as that we do. And so that's always a tricky place as a coach because you have to avoid, there's certain words that I try to avoid in coaching. And should is one of those. And you should be going this. You should, you should. Like, you're such a better athlete than that. And that's a really kind of tricky slope to be on because, yes, we need to have standards for our athletes. That's very, very important. But when you constantly are telling an athlete that you're better than what they've done, that really creates a tricky relationship in their mind about kind of what performance is and and, and kind of um, creates a lot of anxiety because it's, well, I'm not living up to my potential and what is potential and how, how do they know that and all this stuff. And so, um, you know, but I also have had great interactions with athletes where, you know, I've helped them kind of come to see, like, look at what you're doing in practice and look at what pe- these are the people that I've had who've been able to do that stuff before and look at what they've been able to been accomplished. And it's kind of like their eyes start to slowly open and they're like, oh, like I'm better than I think I am. And that process is not, you know, it's not one meeting and it's like, boom, here it is. You're going to score at NCAAs this year. But they do, like you are trying to kind of in some ways have that eureka moment where you can say something or show them something where they're in their mind, it's like that belief clicks and they're like, oh my gosh, like I can do that. And, you know, I'll never forget. I had one athlete who after uh, at Mizzou who graduated and she cited a meeting that we had halfway through the season where I just made a casual statement about, you know, when we're at NCAAs and you're swimming in finals. And she was like, that, that wasn't on my radar. And then when I realized that you just matter of factly were telling me that I was going to make finals, then I realized, Oh, I can do this. And it was, and that she said, you know, she cited this one-off 10 minute conversation as and one phrase is like something that changed the trajectory of her career. Um, and she ended up making finals that year. And so it, it was a spec, you know, it's things like that and moments like that. I think that are real, the, like the joy of coaching, especially when you hear an athlete at the end, tell you about it. And you're, you know, it's something that you even forgot you did. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, that, that moment was really critical for me in my career. 
Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> again, creating the language, setting this foundation, I feel like is, is, is very conducive to that. I also appreciate the, the not saying of should or the recognition that potential is such a tricky word, uh, mm -hmm. which as a member of the media, I think it's my part of my job to sometimes take advantage of someone's potential. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, from, from a coach's perspective, it's potential is very, is very tricky. Right. And I don't think that's something that should be pushed on someone very much at all. Um, so I really like how, how you went about that situation, um, or how you approach it. It's, you know, the words that I choose to use a lot too, it's like, you have to kind of choose your O. And I always talk about, you know, the difference between obligation and opportunity. And I feel like when you preach potential, you're kind of telling that athlete that you have an obligation to, to swim at this level versus, Hey, you can take chances and it's okay. You can take some risk and it's put it out there and send it and go. And, um, and that kind of switches that, that mode to opportunity where they're approaching what they want rather trying to avoid the failure that they don't want uh, and kind of, and I, you know, that's a, but yeah, that's, that's a tricky situation to be in. And um, I caught myself in it about a year ago and have been working to kind of eliminate that word from my vocabulary. So. I, I like that too. I, I guess all of these things really um, give, give the choice, right? It's like can says, well, you can choose this path or you can choose not to go on that path. Whereas should says, well, I'm supposed to be choosing this path, right? Yes. It really, it, it really uh, changes the trajectory of someone's ownership of what they're doing, uh, which is, yeah, which is really cool. Um, so in terms of uh, just the season this year, we're, we're almost to mid season meets. Uh, how do you feel like UNC's season is going so far, you know, for the, for the athletes that you work with and for the rest of the coaching staff and the team, uh, just give me an update on, on where North Carolina is at right now. Well, I would say that, uh, our train is running ahead of schedule. So we're in a good spot, man. You know, we've had, um, our team and our training this year, we have a huge freshman class that walked in. We're a young team. Uh, we had 22 freshmen walk on campus. So, and as a, yeah, a big, big team. So, and we've got a team of about 58 athletes. So a large part percentage of our team is concentrated in our sophomore and our freshman class. And um, what's been amazing about our freshman class is just the energy that they have brought to what we do. Um, they are motivated, man. And they come in and um, they push the older kids, you know, the older kids have some targets on their back and they're, these guys are coming in and, kind of gunslinging at practice and it's awesome. It, it raises everyone's game and that's what it's all about. Um, when we compare kind of where we are in this year to where we were at this point last year, you know, at our last, at our first meet and our last meet, you know, with the exception of some of the events that Grace County swam, um, cause she was obviously a rock star for us in the last few years, but you know, we've been faster in almost every single event. And so it's a really amazing place. We feel like our team's super fit. We've been really healthy the last couple of weeks, which is uh, knock on wood. Um, but, you know, no one out for sickness or anything like that. So we're in a good spot, man. We feel really excited about uh, the mid-seasons coming up. Uh, last, I, I want to go back 
one yeah. step. Uh, you mentioned a big freshman class, which 22, that's huge. Uh, yeah. so especially 22 of 58. That's a, that's a yeah. big, big percentage of, of, of newbies. Um, how do you feel like they took to the six questions and to this, you know, again, language goal setting, uh, kind of the UNC way. I think that, you know, so it's, it's great. So we, you know, we take the time both, you know, to have this conversation in, about these, this book as a team. And then we also have individual meetings with all of our athletes as well. And so um, it's in those individual meetings that we really review a lot of this stuff and kind of go over it. You know, um, the hardest part for an athlete when it comes to the six questions is really we define what our process is going to be. What are the things specifically that we need to work on? Okay. And so there's two ways that I, I phrase that. I said, what are your weapons? And what are your weaknesses? Now, I don't say strengths. I say weapons because we're here to compete. And ultimately, as an athlete, you need to have something that when you step up on the block, you know that this is going to help me get the result that I desire. And it's funny because this actually came from my result of I was working with a, a 400 IMR on our team. And I asked uh, this swimmer, I said, what are you better than everyone at? What is when you get to this point in the I am, what's the thing that, you know, this is my moment. This is when I attack. This is when I assert my will on the field. And he said, I, I don't have that. I don't I don't know what that is. And it was in my mind. I was like, it was like light bulb. I was like, and I said, you don't have a weapon. And you've got to go find a weapon. But, you know, when we back up and we look at, OK, now that we've identified our weapons and we've identified our weaknesses, and it's so funny how many athletes, when you ask them, I said, what are your strengths? What are the things that make you a great athlete, both um, talent wise, both physiological skill, training, mentality, all of it, other what you eating, sleeping, all of those things that make you just a fierce, ferocious competitor. It's amazing how so many of them have never reflected on that. I don't I've never really considered what really make, makes me stand out. And so, first of all, just identifying that is extremely powerful because and it's like, OK, and. We need to spend most of our time maximizing these things, not just focused on the, the, the weaknesses. We're going to focus on those two, but we need to spend the majority of our time focused on what you're really good at and bringing those things to bear as often as possible. But I challenge them to make really measurable, I call it a committed action plan towards the improvement of those things. And that committed action plan is hard for them because a lot of them say, I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to have a better catch or I'm going to, I'm going to work on my underwaters or I'm going to sleep more or I'm going to eat better. Well, those things aren't, that's not a committed action plan to anything. And sometimes it's tricky. Technique is, you know, an undefinable thing about, uh, you know, what it's, what you're trying to seek and when it's finally there. Um, Cause it's kind of a, you know, a subjective unit of measurement. But to me, it's more about what is the commitment that you're going to make to your technique? How many times a week or, or see, every, a month, are you going to film your stroke and get feedback on it? Are you going to seek out and try and make changes to something? How many times are you going to meet with me after a meet to watch your videos and review them with me? You know, what time are you going to go to that? How many times are you going to meet a week with or uh, during a semester with the nutritionist just to check in? You know, uh, and then when it's swimming, it's more specific and measurable. How many kicks are you going to take off the wall every time you push off on backstroke? You know, what tempo are you going to commit to hitting when you're doing your race pace efforts? Those things are are committed. We can be committed to them. And it's kind of like, you're either doing it or you're not. And that's kind of the stuff that can really, really help someone take huge steps. It's again, 
know what you're doing, create that plan, and then just go out there and do what you know. And don't allow the fatigue or the stress or the other obstacles that are going to get in your way keep you from doing those things. Uh, I mean, I feel like I'm 31 years old and you blew my mind with that. So it's like if, if I'm 18 years old, 19 years old, walking in the door and it's like, whoa, <laughs> I, I, I have to... I have to be accountable for my actions. What? That's, well, uh... One of our core values. So we have six core values as a program, right? We have three that cover the character side and three that cover the performance side. And so the character is respect, honesty, integrity. We talk about these things every Monday. We set an intention for the week. When we don't live up to them, we really drill them home, but we talk about them and hold the team to them all the time. So, you know, we have honesty, respect, and integrity. And then on the performance side, we have discipline, toughness, and excellence. Okay. And we talk about those a lot too. And part of those three principles is that when you step on that deck, every day when you walk out of that locker room, you need to have your bag on your shoulder, not dragging behind you, and you need to step on that deck with an intention. And there's been days where when they walk out, we send them right back in the locker room. It's like, nope, that's not it. You know, and it, because when you walk in, you know, what's great about our train schedules, they know what they're going to be doing each day of the week loosely. Um, not, you know, they don't necessarily know the set, but they know the type of work they're going to be doing. And so it's when you walk on that deck, again, if, you, if you're if you 400 IM and you know it's 400 IM day, you better step on that deck ready to go and race and perform because that set is going to be the set that really makes a big difference for you at the end of the season. Um, and so stepping on the deck with a purpose and intention with a positive or at least a positive affect when you walk on the deck is really, really critical. And um, having those intentions like a, like a set in the book in the process is not something that a lot of people are familiar with or know and creating that for people I think really can change their trajectory because it just makes them a more mindful athlete when we're out in the pool. All right. I have a couple follow-up questions. One's a nitpick. Can they ha can okay. they be carrying their bag if it's not <laughs> on the ground? Yes, of course. As long <laughs> as they're not dragging it behind them and putting holes in their bag and their equipment's falling everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. Okay. Uh, Question number two, um, I love Monday, Monday meeting, set an intention for the week. Do you have an, I'm just curious, this is personally curious. Do you have an example of like, what, what is an intention for the week in turn on the, on that first side, the, the personal side yeah. or the character so, side? Our first, pra here's a great example. Our first practice of every season, we show up in old clothes and we clean the pool and the pool deck and our locker rooms and our team room for over for two and a half hours and the entire team. And when you think about how much work you can do to a facility with 66 people plus staff, so 72 people times two and a half hours, how many man hours that is in terms of work. And, you know, it's not that our pool necessarily needs it. That's not the point. The point is, is that we're lucky to have all the resources that we have. And so we're going to show respect to our facility up front in the season and do some work so that as we go through the season, we know what it takes to take care of this place. And we're going to take care of it because we're the ones that cleaned it the first time. Right. And I think that that's just an important lesson of just kind of like, we're lucky to have all these things. We're lucky to have, you know, this great pool. We're lucky to have the weight room that we have. We're lucky to get all of the, to have training table and to get the food that we have in our team room. That's right next to me. We're lucky to 
get the, you know, the allotment of gear that we have and to get to travel and per diem and all of these resources and our athletic trainer and medical care and sports psych and nutritionist. And so, you know, it's totally necessary. It's necessary to teach people. It's like, look, you're being given a lot. You can give back to. And that's a really, really big piece of it. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about that during our week where we did some across America, you know, our, you know, the program, the event here raised over $130,000 um, and just giving back to the community and the role that they are going to play at the event with all the kids here and people from all over the country coming to, to do the event. Um, so, you know, we try and make those character pieces really live out in, in who we are and what we do. That's awesome. Um, again, I feel like that that gives the kids a sense, a little bit of a sense of ownership, right. Of like what, what, not only what they're doing, but where they're doing it. Um, like you said, which is, yeah, which is really great. Like if I clean somewhere, I'm going to want to keep it nice. Like you clean your room and for a few days after you're like, okay, I want, I don't want to mess it up yet. (laughs) I'm not ready. Um, And and we make it fun. We blare music. It's a blast. Like, you know, we, we make it an event that everyone has actually a lot of fun doing it. Um, and generally, when we're cleaning out the equipment closet or the or the apparel closet, there's some uh, swag that they end up getting to go home with. So it, that works out too. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> so kind of kind of wrapping up this conversation, you are in one of the most loaded conferences um, as as UNC. Uh, the ACC is stacked right now. You, you're getting and you're getting more really good teams next year. Um, so for you as a coach right now, what do you think about being in the ACC? I mean, you, you, it's not like that's new, um, but I guess this season, just kind of your thoughts on this conference this season, um, as well as UNC's goals within that, uh, moving forward for mid season and then obviously conference and NCs. Absolutely. So, I mean, our conference is fast. It's, it's awesome. Like I would much rather find myself in the fastest conference than the slowest conference um, because this is where excellence is. Um, and if you're an athlete and you want to compete against the best, then be in the fastest conference. Go, go race against the best. And, you know, the thing I love about competition is that competition brings out the best in people. If you let it, if you can learn to have, have a proper relationship with competition, if you can learn to see that if I bring my best today, then I'm going to elevate the best of those around me. And then when they elevate their best, that's going to elevate my best again, because I'm going to respond to that challenge. You can see it that way as a game where we all benefit from playing together and competing at the highest level. It's not not that we fear fast teams. Rather, we understand that the better the competition is, the better that we're going to be. Okay. And we embrace that. Being a competitor is is a core value kind of sub value of those six core values that I gave you. And we talk about that all along, just, just racing and sending it and call it calculated risk-taking. Just, just go like, you'll never know what could have happened unless you take the shot. And that's, that's a big piece of it. And so when it comes to our conference, I'm, you know, I love our conference. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the competitive environment of our conference for the world. I love that it's as deep as it is. And I think that it's caused us in a lot of ways to raise our game, particularly, you know, on the women's side, being able to race NC State and Virginia year after year in January has taught our women, hey, you can go to NCAAs and you can race against anybody. And, you know, we went from 44th to 10th in four years. And I think that that's a big part of it is the level of the conference. Um, 
you know, when it comes to the expansion, you know, that's going to be uh, an interesting change for sure. Um, it's going to make it faster. And I think that, you know, we're, we're going to respond to it. It's again, competition makes everyone faster as long as you let it. And so um, we're going to raise our game to respond to the challenge that's in front of us for sure. When I look at this season, you know, we're taking a little bit of a different approach this year than we've taken in years past. So we're going to have a fairly large group that's going to go to U.S. Open this year instead of a, a short course midseason invite. And then we're going to take the rest of our crew up to Princeton for their invitational. Um, kind of those that don't quite have U.S. Open cuts yet or um, some of our seniors that have no intention of going to trials this summer as well. So we're going to split our group a little bit and do that, which is going to be really fun and interesting. The ones going to the short course meet are really excited. And then we've got a lot of people, particularly some international students that are um, really focused on making the Olympics this summer. And so making sure that they have that kind of long course opportunity um, early in the year, just to assess where they're at, get to rehearse some of their long course swimming and their race strategies and get a feel for it, I think is going to be really critical. Um, and so that's going to be a really exciting change to our year. Um, when it comes to conference and NCAAs this year, you know, last year we kind of, I would say, prepared for our fall invite a little bit more than we had in years past and uh, hope to punch a lot of our tickets for the women and then um, swam through ACCs. And that's that's interesting that dynamic that that creates, right? Because part of your team's all the way ready for ACCs. And then you have this other group of your kind of your core uh, high performers that aren't all the way ready. And it's kind of like, well, this isn't where this isn't where I'm peaking and it creates this kind of interesting dynamic on your team of kind of like, well, these people are all in, but these people, you know, they're swimming as fast as they can and they're still getting top eights and stuff because they're that good. But, you know, they understand that there's more left in the tank. And so this year we're all going to be on the same page and we're going to have two fortified teams ready to perform, support each other and go kind of all in on conference in terms of not going all in that we're going to sacrifice any performance at the end of the year, but that we're all going to be shaved and ready at our conference meet. Um, and that's really exciting to to be in that position this year. And then this year at NCAAs, you know, we lost um, two really big kind of hitters for us last year in Grace County and Sophie Linder, who both scored points individually at NCAAs. And Grace was obviously a cornerstone in our relay. But we've picked up some unbelievable fifth years, uh, fifth year grad student transfers from other places like um, UNC Asheville and um, UCSD. And so we really feel like we have a team where kind of in the aggregate, we can really make some more moves again. And, you know, Coleman, I'm, I'm, I don't want to kind of reveal our secret, but I feel like, you know, we can do even better than we did last year. Cause we had a lot of ninths and a lot of 17th last year. And if we are on the other side of those bubbles, it's going to be really, really good on the men's side. You know, we're still young. Um, we, you know, barely have any juniors or seniors on our team, just a handful of both. Um, we're really leaning on the seniors that we do have for the leadership that they've offered us. They've been unbelievable performers over their careers here. Um, but even with our team being really, really young, we have some really great performers, you know, that, um, you know, as freshmen either scored in NCAAs or some relays that narrowly missed last year. And I know that, you know, this year we're going to score in relays and we're going to have multiple individuals at the meet scoring. And so um, it's going to, we're going to take some big steps forward this year with the men and it's going to be pretty awesome to watch. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcasts on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.